Welcome to Naturally Nourished, a food is medicine podcast that delivers cutting edge information and solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought out by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only and should not be used in place of any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from a licensed health professional. Now welcome your host, Allie Miller, integrative dietitian and owner of Naturally Nourished, and her vice president, integrative dietitian Carly Vogler. Hey everyone, this is Carly and Allie here. Hey guys, how's everyone doing? Today we are talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is ketosis. And this subject is getting a lot of attention right now in the media and a lot of health blogs. And for very good reason, it's very therapeutic, but also great for weight loss if it's not for a medical reason. For sure. And finding us, if you're listening timely, this is January and I think a buzzworthy topic for sure. New Year's resolutions, recommitting to your health and weight loss probably takes the top of the list for wellness goals. Definitely. I know it's the big topic in all of our sessions, mostly right now. (laughs) For sure. So let's start by just defining for those who don't know what ketosis is. So ketosis is a metabolic process where the body transitions from using glucose as its fuel to ketone bodies. And glucose is the primary fuel source that is used in a a standard day-to-day basis. So glucose, again, can be used interchangeably for blood sugar. We've talked in previous episodes about how your glucose levels are regulated by your liver in fasting mode, so your liver will dump sugar under times of stress or prolonged periods of time without food. And then also glucose comes typically from carbohydrate-rich foods and can also come from the breakdown of protein compounds in the body. So a ketogenic diet or transitioning into ketosis requires a restriction of carbohydrates of very low intake. Uh, We typically call it residual carbohydrates only, meaning that you're not eating carbohydrate-centric foods. So we're removing fruits, we're removing all grains, we're removing legumes, we're removing, any I'm missing? Starchy (laughs) vegetables. Starchy veggies, for sure. Sweets, you, you name it. Sugary beverages. And um, typically to get ketogenic, it's about 30 grams of carbs or less, and it takes about 72 hours for the body's metabolic processes to be able to break down the body's fat stores and create ketone bodies as the primary fuel source. So let's to be clear in case anyone's wondering about ketoacidosis and I thought ketosis was bad for you. Well, there's, yes. a, there's a difference there. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that the medical community is still understanding. I think that dietitians, well, <laughs> not all dietitians, <laughs> I should say that lightly, um, but some dietitians and definitely in the functional medicine movement and the paleo movement, um, health-minded communities, we've embraced this ketogenic diet for a, a, a couple years now, if not if not decades, of course. It's, it's been going on for a long period of time back in the 50s and prior for regulation initially of diabetes. Um, but ketoacidosis can occur when someone is a diabetic and they don't have enough insulin to make their glucose. So then the body has to go into the fat stores. So it's actually usually diagnosed based on a failure of the insulin mechanism more than a targeted therapeutic diet approach. 
But what's interesting enough is there's also promising research of using a ketogenic diet to regulate diabetes as an alternative to have to use insulin as a therapeutic. So, you know, the ketoacidosis is usually a high rebound demand. The levels in the bloodstream are significantly higher than that which would be seen in a therapeutic ketogenic diet. Okay. So basically ketosis is low carb. And I know everyone out there has heard of a low carb diet before and they might just thinking, oh, this is just another fad. But let's really talk about how ketosis is different from other low carb diets, Atkins, for example, and other things. Sure. So I think the first thing to distinguish, I guess this would be kind of true to Atkins as well, but that a ketogenic diet is not about calorie restriction. So if we're comparing it to diets per se, um, something that I always joke about is that the first three letters of the word diet are D-I-E, which is die because you're starving and you're not happy and you're hangry all the time, which is hungry and angry. Um, And so what's really beautiful about a ketogenic diet is that when you go into ketosis state, using those fats as fuel actually helps your neurohormones to maintain satiety. So it's actually not calorie restrictive as its focus, it's macronutrient restrictive as its focus. So again, very, very low carbohydrate, moderate protein, and a high fat diet. Um, Something that distinguishes it from the Atkins diet, I believe, because Atkins is also low carb. Sometimes Atkins diet is misconstrued as a high protein diet, uh, but I really believe Dr. Atkins was speaking of a high fat diet. So I would say that's kind of along the same lines on macros. Um, But the way that we distinguish it in therapeutic use in our diet at Naturally Nourished and with our patients at Allie Miller RD is that we're also ensuring that they're getting an abundance of antioxidants. So, you know, it's not just about eating eggs and bacon every day, although we do believe that those foods have therapeutic properties, and you can listen to our podcast episode on, you don't have to break up with bacon or whatever we call that from that buzzworthy research study. Um, So we support those foods and we support saturated fat, but our approach to ketosis also ensures that you're getting antioxidant-rich fiber-rich foods. So you're getting in your leafy greens, you're getting in your cruciferous vegetables, your detoxifying compounds. And the quality focus is another thing that sets us apart. We really focus on anti-inflammatory sourcing. So we don't want you getting that eggs and bacon from a diner. We want to make sure, of course, just like we also address in that episode, the pasture-raised, the the grass-fed, the antibiotic and hormone-free, and of course, free of preservatives of things like nitrites and and what have you. Right. And you're never going to see a naturally nourished protein bar that's got isolates and binders and fillers. Whole foods. Yeah. I think that's another great point. So using whole foods, we wouldn't have an Atkins bar. Right. That's where I was going. Um, Totally. Totally. So so that's going to have a whole chemical shitstorm, pardon my French, but um, as far as, <laughs> hopefully Atkins doesn't knock on my door and sue me, um, but you know, that's going to have a lot of food-like substances versus a true food product, and we really believe in nourishing with, of course, food as medicine, so our approach with ketosis is going to be using therapeutic, functional, whole foods, so foods that have a single ingredient of quality source, locally sourced, organically sourced, and eating their original diet. And I think when people hear about the ketosis diet at first, a lot of people are saying, well, no, I have high cholesterol. I can't eat that much fat. 
which we've talked about cholesterol before, but let, let's just talk about who this diet could be bad for. Sure, sure. So there is a population that we watch and recommend holding off on a ketogenic diet. Really the biggest targeted population to watch out for is those that are in severe stage three adrenal fatigue. And the reasoning behind that is that DHEA, which is a hormone made by the adrenal glands that builds estrogen and also builds testosterone, DHEA is used to build ketone bodies. And so if you're already DHEA depleted uh, and then you're using ketone bodies as your fuel, you're going to further deplete those adrenal glands. So if we're looking at adrenal rebound or uh, finding balance in that HPA access, we want to make sure that we're providing supplemental support for that client if we determine that the benefits of ketosis outweigh that risk. But typically speaking, we wouldn't want to do it for a stage three, maybe stage one or two, but that's something that we would take clinically and individualized. And just so you know, the stages with adrenal fatigue, it's about a six-month recovery, I think, for each stage. stage. For sure. So that's really what's defining the differences. It's the time for recovery and the level of depletion. And and it's an, a real algorithm applied to their total output of cortisol and DHEA. So it's that severe stage or stage three is going to be extremely low output. And so we really need to allow the green, the glands, excuse me, to rebound before we start using them as the primary fuel producer for sure. Um, another thing to watch out for, I think is really based on your medications. So people that are on blood pressure medications and individuals that are on oral hypoglycemic or diabetic drugs, as well as using insulin as their therapy as a type one diabetic, if they aren't going to be managed by a healthcare practitioner, then a ketogenic diet on their own while they're taking those medications would be higher risk than benefit. Um, they can deal with things like vertigo. They can deal with things like dropping into the ketoacidosis. Uh, they can deal with severe hypoglycemia because those medications are working on mechanisms that the keto ketogenic diet uh, or therapeutic approach um, contraindicates. Okay, so adrenal fatigue, blood pressure. Let's not go too far into this subject, but oh. let's just address <laughs> the cholesterol and oh yeah, fat. So so yes, thanks. So so I, I didn't notice. I didn't mention those that actually have heart disease or have elevated cholesterol as being, being people that are not candidates for a ketogenic diet because there is actually research that supports that a very high fat, very low carb and moderate protein diet can be therapeutic for lipid positive outcomes. Um, we can actually see more HDL um, molecules being made by the body, lower LDL, and then the subfractionation of the LDL particles, more of those large, buoyant, which are less prone to oxidative damage and plaque formation than those small, dense LDL that we see in a higher carbohydrate diet. So, you know, a therapeutic keto, ketogenic diet, which is, again, the type we would prescribe with that macro balance, with the antioxidants and the other compounds that help to support healthy vessels, would actually be a therapeutic tool to use in management and treatment of elevated cholesterol levels or, or heart disease even. So all of you out there who are asking, well, can I eat eggs every day and how many can I eat? What about my cholesterol and eggs? Well, we often say that you can have higher cholesterol from something like a vegan muffin yes. than an egg or another form of exogenous 
cholesterol because your body will make it. And I have to say, just yesterday, so frustrating, a, a patient that I've been working with for a couple years now had a calcification scan of her carotid, um, and, and they were looking at uh, heart disease pathology because she has heart disease in her family. And there was higher calcification scores, and her doctor immediately Oh, she has an HDL of something like 170, the highest I've seen. It's supposed to be, for you guys, for reference, higher than 46 in women. So, yeah, it was literally 170. Wow. Not not 107, 170. Um, yeah, and then her LDL was like 110, and triglycerides were super low, like in the 50s. Um, so to me and, and to functional medicine practitioners, a beautiful lipid cascade. Um, of course, due to the calcification, the recommendations were to guess, statin up, medication. Her, up, her, <laughs> up her statin. She was only doing the way that she had that, that layout of her lipids, which may not even require the statin. She's only taking five milligrams of a generic three times a week. So, I mean, really sub uh, therapeutic dosage technically, because um, the generics are less potent than the name brands like the Lipitor and things like that. So anyway, she's she's taking five milligrams three days a week, very subtherapeutic, and they wanted her to, of course, yes, up the statin, although she has beautiful lipids. They wanted her to start Plavix, and then they wanted her to go on niacin, which I was supportive of, of the niacin. Um, I don't want to get into some of her other markers and why and whatnot, but the, the catch, the part that really gets me is she had a prescription from her doctor on a, on a prescription pad written for less than um, 30 milligrams of dietary cholesterol. Oh, goodness. No egg yolks, oh. no mammalian protein, which apparently, I have never actually heard that phrase, but yeah, apparently mammalian. it means red meat. So yeah, no mammalian. She was like, mammalian? I was like, I think he means Mammal? red meat and pork. Yeah, no mammalian uh, proteins. And then um, no fried foods, which I would I would be okay with the no fried foods part, but but now we took out her omega threes, her choline, choline all of these vascular supportive compounds. Yeah, oh. so I think that's still something that we're in the functional nutrition and whole foods and traditional diet fields trying to counter. And the research really supports our side of the angle that saturated fats and dietary cholesterol do not cause heart disease. So long story short, yes, this could still be a therapeutic diet for you. <laughs> okay, let's keep going on that train okay. and let's talk about who else this could be good for. So the, the benefits are definitely widely spread. Uh, some of the really exciting research that's been being done in oncology or cancer care is looking at the ketogenic diet because when we run something like a PET scan, this is a scan of the body which looks for tumor activity. It's actually looking for glucose concentrations or blood sugar concentrations, and that's where we see tumors because tumors replicate or grow quicker than healthy cells in the body, and so they use fuel at a more rapid pace. So that whole mechanism, if you can visualize that, a PET scan is looking for sugar concentrations, and that's how cancer is detected. Well, if you go ketogenic and you're reducing your glucose as your fuel and you're using your fat as your fuel, you can virtually starve off tumor activity. And so really exciting research done um, and being started to, to tip of the iceberg on ketosis for cancer care. I love sharing that with cancer patients because when they can really visualize it and, and they've under, seen their scans for right, sure, then it's such motivation. Other than 
you can't even have fruit. You can't have your sweets because they are looking for any sort of comfort at that point. But it kind of turns the, you know, just the perspective. Absolutely. And then there's long-term been research on epilepsy. That's kind of the biggest fame of the ketogenic diet. A lot of children's hospitals use it currently to manage epilepsy and seizures. We're seeing a lot of research in um, Dr. Terry Walls with the Walls Warriors and Walls Protocol uses a ketogenic element to her diet for multiple sclerosis management. And then there's the whole bacterial piece of the puzzle. So treatment of things like dysbiosis and candidiasis or candida, same idea is that carbohydrates feed bacteria and yeast. So you can use a ketogenic diet to essentially aid as a tool to starve off the fuel source as you work with your antifungals or antibacterial uh, compounds. Another element that we look at is hormonal balance. So we've seen great strides and benefits for things like PCOS and endometriosis, using a higher intake of fat to help to balance out the sexual hormones in the body. And then I I think big picture we see, and I think this is the take home I've heard from my clients that do it. I I don't know about you, but is that they start to feel more like themselves, whatever that means. And I think that that is neurohormone changes that occur in the brain. I think it's neurohormone, and I also think, like you were just talking about, the dysbiosis is so much more common than people like to acknowledge. Sure. And so that brain fog, yes, whether it's high GABA or high serotonin, or the brain fog from all the toxins from the candida. Sure. You know, I think either one of those would be common players for sure. And I think getting clean amino acids with proteins help with neurohormone regulation. You know, we think of things like, right, tryptophan to aid in serotonin and and what have you, all those building blocks that we've talked to you guys about. So that in turn added with the high fat diet, which stimulates leptin, which is that feel good neurohormone really helps to also reduce cravings. And um, that's where people talk about this keto high. They get a really natural surge of energy, likely because they're using more of that DHEA as well. So they're helping that adrenal surge. Um, They have uh, also very good sleep because likely their cortisol rhythm is finding balance once again. And and so I think that neurohormone, emotional element is something else to definitely take into account. Absolutely. And I think it's probably for chronic dieters, so refreshing to finally feel back in control as opposed to a normal diet. You're restricted. So you're hungry, you're craving things, you're cranky. And with ketosis, yes, this keto high that you're talking about, but you're also full. You're not having the cravings. It's the exact opposite of every diet that's out there. For sure. I can't tell you how often uh, I I have a new session with a patient and I, I ask them what they eat and they're like, oh, uh, fish, no sauce <laughs> or steamed. I get my vegetables steamed and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, that's super boring. And sounds, sounds terrible. terrible. <laughs> Put some fat on there. And so the cool thing, I think that's very, uh, liberating about a ketogenic approach is that you can put your butter back on your steak and you can use your Bernay sauce with the egg yolk. And that makes dining out and the sustainability factor of the diet very realistic for sure. I think the sustainability is the thing people get so excited about too, because you just get burnout thinking you're going to be doing something and then it's going to end. You're finally going to be to this new place, but people truly just want to find balance. That's it. They don't want to be done with dieting, you know? Yeah. And I think that takes 
to the other benefit of complete environmental or pantry reset, you know, we talk about the stages of change, which the first is immediate, you know, which is your day-to-day decision of what am I putting in my mouth or, you know, what am I ordering or what have you. The, the second phase of successful change is environmental. And so you typically need to get in the rhythm of your immediate before you're ready to make the environmental But definitely thinking of clients and myself even, you know, over the holidays, certain comfort foods and things like that sneak into your pantry or you might have leftover Christmas cookies or what have you, um, different treats from different areas and visits you've had over over seeing family and whatnot. But this allows you to have that um, progress both in your body, the beneficial outcomes and the scale to feel committed to rid yourself of those temptations and not feel the desire for them. You know, so it's a really solid cleanse and you start to replace things in your pantry for like your coconut oil and your, your ghee and all of these therapeutic nourishing foods versus the lower calorie, but malnourished, you know, the, the overfed malnourished deal where you're just right. getting naked calories and stuff like that. Right. The empty calories. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what foods people can eat on ketosis. We talked about butter, obviously. Yes. And ghee and oil. So all these 100% fat sources. But what about other proteins to focus on? Any other? And of course, looking grass-fed and organic when when you can is a huge piece for that and is going to make those fats more therapeutic. Um, so beyond getting pure fat, all the other classifications of high-fat foods typically are going to have um, other compounds in them. For instance, olives. So, you know, we think of olives as a high-fat food, which they are. They're going to have some residual carbs. Avocado. Uh, is it a quarter or a half of an avocado that has four grams of quarter. carbs? So just a quarter of an avocado is going to have still four grams of carbs. And so when you're looking to stay under that 30 grams a day, if you're doing half an avocado with a baked egg or something like that for your breakfast or for a snack, that can add up very quickly. So still high fats, but you want to keep into account the portions of the fat foods that are not pure fat. So that would also be your nuts and seeds, which are going to have hidden sources of carbohydrates as well as nut butters. But these are all allowed in ketosis. So olives, um, cheeses, we like to go for raw aged cheeses, ideally to get the probacteria or higher fat cheeses like brie and things like that work quite well as well. You can even use a full fat cream, just watching again, the carbs are going to be found in the liquid with the lactose. Grass-fed whey, collagen, and gelatin are three sources of protein in a powdered form that we recommend to use during a ketogenic diet. And then your pasture-raised, wild-caught, or grass-fed protein whole food sources. So, you know, your grass-fed meats and your steaks and your tenderloins and your fish, shellfish, seafood, eggs, you name it. Okay, so let's put all these delicious foods together. What does an example day in keto look like? And I think... I want to make sure, well, as I go into the day, you'll see, but the other foods that are definitely allowed and we encourage is daily two to three cups of leafy greens and then also non-starchy vegetables. Sure. But I think it's easy to focus on. Yes. Just keep the cheese, I'll have an egg and a piece of bacon. Those dense, quick, couple bite things, but you definitely want that volume element of the non-starchy vegetables and you want those antioxidants. But just like the olives and the nuts and the avocado, you do have to be mindful of the residual carbohydrates 
in the non-starchy veg. So that's going to be your category of things like your broccoli, your cauliflower, your cabbage, your bell peppers. Kale's even a little bit higher in the carb. You'd be surprised. And leafy greens, that's why we allow more of a volume of two to three cups. Those are the lowest in your carbohydrates, of course. So an example day. Okay, I'll maybe maybe we should both do one. Sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll see who can have more fun with theirs. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'm gonna start my keto day off with a cup of ketogenic coffee. So I'm going to do a French press of organic coffee, and I'm gonna put in two teaspoons of coconut oil and a teaspoon of grass-fed butter, and I'm gonna whip that with my uh, frother or emulsion blender, and that's gonna create a nice frothy head. This is kind of known as bulletproof coffee or keto coffee. What this does is that caffeine gets into your fat cells and creates that thermogenesis or caloric burn. And also the caffeine is blunted by the fat so you don't get that caffeine jitter like you would if you were just doing black coffee. This can often be used with a concept of intermittent fasting, but I think we'll shelf that for next episode and I'll I'll keep going with my day. So I'm having my keto coffee and with that I'm going to do um, two eggs poached and a a quarter cup of sliced cherry tomatoes and a couple leaves of basil chiffonade. Then I'm going to do for my lunch a half can of skipjack tuna. And with that, I'm going to put a quarter of an avocado and three olives. And I'm going to do that on a bed of chopped up chard and baby spinach and make a vinaigrette with uh, balsamic and olive oil, uh, but dominant in the olive oil. Then I'm going to do a snack of some uh, eight roasted almonds and two cubes of raw aged cheese. And then for my dinner, what do I have left? Let's see. I'm going to do a pork chop, (laughs) pasture-raised pork chop with a chili rub. And I'm going to have a half, let's see, what do I have left? I still have, I think, a cup of leafy greens as a side. So I do a little small side salad and um, probably a half cup of roasted broccoli. And that's my day. Sounds delicious. Okay, let's see if I can change it up. I'm going to start off my day with a fasted workout. So it might be something like keeping my heart rate around 130, maybe a power walk. And then I'm going to have a shake. And that's going to have one scoop of collagen protein, half a scoop of whey protein, quarter of an avocado, tablespoon of chocolate cacao powder, raw, One cup of cashew milk, might do almond milk, depends. Cashew milk can be a little bit higher carb. And then I'll do about two teaspoons of a flaxseed oil and some ice, and that's my shake. It's my chocolate milkshake, I call it. And then let's see, mid-morning I might have one or two cubes of cheese. Sometimes it does hold me over till lunch, though. For lunch, let's see, today I had keto lasagna, which was fantastic. Instead of noodles, I used really thinly sliced chicken tomato sauce, ricotta cheese, mozzarella, uh, tomato sauce. Sorry, I said tomato sauce. I said that. Um, and then I put an entire tub of baby spinach in there when I was making the casserole, so it really yeah. wilted down. It was, it's really good. Y'all have to try that one. Mid-afternoon, I'd do some frozen macadamia nuts, about eight of them. And then for dinner, I would probably do something like a fish or the other week I made a white chicken chili, so it was blended up 
poblano peppers with some jack cheese, um, some chicken thighs in there, and then bone broth based, um, you know, as the base. And that's Great. about it. Of course, no beans or carrots or any of those. Right. There, yeah. the, the original recipe had white beans, but I omitted that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think that gives you a taste of what a day could look like. It's definitely not lacking in flavor. It should not be lacking in antioxidants by any means and incorporate some nourishing foods. So bringing in things like the collagen, bringing in probiotic rich foods with things like the raw aged cheese. You could also bring in, of course, kimchi. If I wanted to add that on my pork chop, that would have been a great add of quarter cup of kimchi or something like that. Uh, definitely getting in our sulfur-containing compounds and our egg yolks and our cruciferous vegetables. And then I think both of us got our, our leafy greens in there from our, our meals or what have you. Yeah, spinach was in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so <laughs> our, for those of you wondering about like calories and macronutrients, my day personally was a little bit higher calorie because I worked out in the morning. But, you know, it could be anywhere from 800 to 1,200 might be my normal range. And then uh, Distribution-wise, we were talking beforehand, probably about, what, 5% carb? Would you say 75% fat? Yeah, I say 25 protein or 20 protein. I say give or take 5% with, right, 5% carb, 25% protein, 70% fat. So it could totally be, yeah, like, 75 fat, 20 protein, right. fat, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the percent distribution will change the grams depending on your calorie content. But you could play with that and... We often talk about some people who are playing with ketosis sometimes can be a little bit too high protein, and that protein, as Ali mentioned in the beginning, can transaminate into sugar. So really pushing higher fat, moderate protein, and lower carb. That's a big trick, and I think a lot of people, when they start to get those strides of success with the ketogenic diet, realize that they're their crutch when they first started was going for protein snacks because they're they're easy things like having a cheese stick or a hard boiled egg or rolled up turkey and that can often as Carly mentioned that fancy word transaminate or basically those protein compounds can convert into glucose and that can kick you out of a ketogenic state the issue with that of course is it takes you 72 true hours to really get ketogenic so this is a diet that if you are going to use it as a tool, we recommend using it no shorter than a minimum commitment of two weeks or 14 days. It's definitely not something that you want to do like Monday through Thursday and then pop out on a Friday and what have you. We're seeing some research, and I know Carly has been reading more about doing cycling with ketosis, so we'll probably have a follow-up episode on that. But my current stance is that it's something that you want to find the rhythm of with your body, see how your body feels and once it gets quote-unquote keto-adapted. <laughs> and um, we run a program that's six weeks in length. Some patients will maintain ketosis for 12 weeks. Some people live ketogenic, especially when they're managing more of the chronic illness states like epilepsy and cancer and things like that. But the length of time is very dependent on the individual, has to do with their adrenal glands, has to do with their markers in their comprehensive metabolic panel, how their liver is functioning, their kidneys are functioning. And those are all things we take into account clinically when using this as a prescriptive therapeutic diet. Right. So let's leave everyone. We were kind of brainstorming the other day about snacks that are higher fat and to get away from these protein snacks. Yeah. And you came up with a gem. I just want to share oh, with everyone. Okay. 
please do. Your oh. your your bone broth and oh stick. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I do. I write it down. Okay. So uh, oh well, this was actually problem solving. So it is higher fat, yeah. But um, I came up with this to problem solve getting in the leafy greens because as you heard from Carly's protein shake, you know, if you're someone who's doing green smoothies now, likely you're not doing a ketogenic green smoothie. You're probably having something like frozen mango in there or half a banana or carbohydrates for sure from fruit sources or dates or something like that. So when you're going ketogenic and you don't feel like salads and maybe you're not a kitchen wizard and don't think of the keto lasagna (laughs) and need to get in your leafy greens, I came up with the idea of doing a really simple spinach creamed soup. And so it starts with the concept of using two cups or so of bone broth. So you'd be simmering your bone broth. In a separate pan, you would saute garlic and maybe about a quarter of an onion. And then you would braise down. So you'd add in three cups of spinach. And then braising down would be following the saute process. So maybe you add the spinach three to five minutes into cooking the garlic throw in your, and you'd of course cook that in your grass-fed butter or your ghee. Um, Then you would throw in your three cups of raw spinach, allow that to get uh, cooked down a little bit with the fats, and then put in about a quarter cup of bone broth to braise that. That's adding that cooking liquid, which is going to allow it to wilt. And then you can pour that bone broth into that pan that you were cooking everything and puree it. And that's going to make a really yummy cream of spinach soup. The cream comes in if you would add in a tablespoon or two tablespoons of heavy full fat cream. And then you could even take it a step further and do like a golden bone broth like we have in our Naturally Nourished Cookbook. Uh, where you add in a tablespoon of turmeric, adding more anti-inflammatory compounds that also helps to boost metabolism and, and leptin. Um, so yeah, I think that that was a, it good, is, a good option. I, I love the turmeric idea, but I took that and I made it about a two second snack. I just took my bone broth cubes and I um, heated them up, uh-huh. threw it in a blender with about a half a cup of frozen spinach. Oh, so you just did it right away. Yes, okay, yeah. And tablespoon of cream, a little bit of butter and it was a two second, I mean, two minute maybe. And then did you heat it after blending it? I did on the stove top? heat it okay. up a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but it's so Yum. good. Yep. Okay. I took the longer route. <laughs> but still all <laughs> the delicious. The zen approach to yeah. making it. And then chopping. Yes. No, thank you. <laughs> I was listening to good music in my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. So I think we've covered at least the foundations of ketosis. Hopefully we've gotten you all thinking and you have a lot of questions please make sure that you put those in the Ask Alley box on our podcast page. We're always happy to to cover those. And I believe episode 16 or 17, we're going to do a Q&A. So we're, we're waiting. I think we have three questions on the queue. So go ahead and send those in. And we're going to have a follow-up episode, which will be episode 15, and that's going to be on taking ketosis to the next level. Uh, We'll talk about things like intermittent fasting. We'll touch a little bit longer on how long is too long and some of the negatives of staying ketogenic for the long haul, and then continuing problem solving and processing through how to make ketogenic work for your body. And if you have the Naturally Nourished Cookbook, there's actually an index in the back yes. that will say gluten-free, dairy-free. There's a KF for keto-friendly. So check that out and start playing with your keto recipes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. 
Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Carly at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.